0: Q&A's and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. So today I've got a really cool episode for you more on the chronic illness side of things, and I'm joined by Oliver Barnett. Oliver is considered one of the UK's leading health experts, who features regularly in the national press and has lectured at all UK top nutritional colleges and a number of corporate institutes. He's now worked with over 15,000 patients, helping them regain their health from a myriad of health conditions. He has a special interest in complex health illnesses, unexplained illnesses, Lyme disease thyroid health, autoimmune conditions, specifically Hashimoto's, rheumatoid arthritis and mold illness. Oliver has always been a keen cook and had developed an interest in food nutrition early on. He studied naturopathic nutrition for five years, herbal medicine, functional medicine, being one of the few UK fully certified practitioners and regularly does four to 500 hours a year of CPD to ensure that he's at the top of his game in all his special interest areas. Oliver has a keen interest in energetic medicine and mind-body medicine which we talk a bit about in the podcast usually preferring patients to emphasize the lifestyle changes over the dietary supplementation and herbal medicine options. He ensured that after being a sole practitioner within three years he would steer the London Clinic of Nutrition being given the highest award within the industry as the outstanding practice of the year award. Also ensuring that the London Clinic of Nutrition is the most highly reviewed functional medicine practice in the UK on Google. In this episode, we're talking about the awesome foursome of chronic illness, and we'll go into what they are in much more detail during the episode, but as an overview, toxicity is number one, so whether that's heavy metals or environmental pollution, fluoride in toothpaste and drinking water. We talk about dental issues being number two, chronic infections in the mouth, abscesses, root canals, dysbiosis as well, they can spread systemically through the body. Number three is infections and Oliver specializes in more chronic infections, particularly things like Lyme disease, Epstein-Barr virus and mycotoxicity as well, some mold toxins and finally trauma being a huge one as well and Oliver shows some of his personal recommendations on how people can work through trauma and we all have trauma in our life, regardless of if it's abuse or just divorced parents or bullying. It's all very important, and it could be a huge player in chronic illnesses. And if you are personally struggling with chronic il- health issues, definitely get in touch with one of the team at Elcon, the London London Clinic of Nutrition, and the links will all be provided in the show notes. So this episode is absolutely packed with amazing information, and I'm so happy, Oliver. Agree to come on the podcast today because he's a wealth of knowledge and I think you'll really enjoy this podcast episode because it's such an eye-opener. So could you just start off by telling us a bit about who you are and what you do at the London Clinic of Nutrition?
1: Yes my my, my name is Oliver Barnett, I'm a naturopath nutritionist, herbalist and functional medicine practitioner and I run um, a clinic called the um, London Clinic of Nutrition which specializes in treating people who have uh, got complex chronic illness, and often the term treating the untreatable is sort of applied to the clinic. Um, that's where we've really built our reputation. Not, notwithstanding that, because we, we're a quite a large team of about 24 people, we do cover pretty much all forms of um, chronic illness, whether it's hormone irregularities, um, treating Lyme disease, um, digestive disorders, um, even performance and resilience work with athletes. We're about, about 15, 16 practitioners and maybe, say, seven or eight support staff. Uh, we also offer IVs, and nutritional IVs at the clinic. Um, at Ozone. And we do all our testing on, on, on most of our testing, or certainly blood testing, on site. And we occupy the whole building of a building called 100 Seymour Place, which is over four floors. So we have the whole building, which is makes up makes a nice, a nice atmosphere for both the staff and the patients.
0: Amazing. Yeah, I've never personally been. My friend uh, Rebecca Ellison works there. I know part time. Um, and she specializes in Lyme so you're right it's very comprehensive what you do and it's a great thing to have in the UK and it is one of a kind because typically we only have the National Health Service to fall back on and that's why many people can struggle with health issues for a period of time it's because no one's really looking at these underlying factors unfortunately and did you personally go through a health struggle that got you into the health space or has it just always Mm -hmm. been a passion?
1: Not really. I mean, I'm, it's weird because I, I, I am. Um, I uh, had a, a career historically in working in the property industry, and I retrained about fifteen years ago. And I just got really interested in nutrition. <clears throat> nutrition at the time, and I suppose you know, the, I just gone on, and eventually I was fed up of juggling two jobs and decided to quit that uh, and work in this full time. Um, the the clinic. I mean, I was still working as a as a lone practitioner up until about four years ago or so. And then the clinic has sort of grown exponentially over, over the last last four years. To we've reached sort of um, sort of critical mass size now. Um, so no, I mean I, was, I know most practitioners tend to have their own personal health journey, but uh, that doesn't necessarily apply to me.
0: Yeah, and you still have that passion regardless, which is great. Yeah. And yeah. how important do you think it is for people to have that support one on one with a practitioner or a community like you've built um, yourself rather than doing it alone?
1: I think that the practitioners, it's really good. You know, it, it's, it's a lot of people work in silos or in isolation. Uh, people tend to work in therapy centres in competition with other practitioners in other modalities. So I think the, the, the benefit of working collaboratively and bouncing ideas off each other and having case studies where we can share with patients. I think that's part of the reason why we get the good results that we get is because sometimes, you know, 10 heads are better than one. And, you know, you can bounce ideas off, off, off colleagues. So the patients benefit the practitioners benefit that's so everyone benefits
0: mm. and what about the patients like people who are self-treating why do you why do you not recommend that um
1: i think that i think for maybe maybe for one reason would be that when you're being given one of the main reasons when people i think people get well is when they're shown care yeah. by, by someone else regardless of what the actual prescription is in terms of diet and lifestyle whatever it is it's it's actually being cared for and listened to and i think that's a crucial part of it you you can obviously find lots of information and books online but it's actually been nurtured and cared for and someone being of service to you that really i i think helps tip the balance
0: absolutely and i know i've been in consultations with quote specialists and the best of the best in the conventional medical world and some of them don't even look at you in the eye they're just face the other way on the computer and I know they only have a short period of time they have lots of demands and everything but that just someone looking in your eyes and just letting you know that they understand what you're going through and they're willing to support you that's sometimes all that you need to make that first step and feel a little bit more supported so I agree that that's very important as well yeah and I've watched a recent video of yours and this inspired what I wanted to chat about on this podcast today was you on Instagram talking about the awesome foursome and could you start off by talking about what you mean by this and then we can cover each of the the different components in more detail.
1: Yeah. So I've, I I found, I guess predominantly these days, the patients that I treat, um, you know, have what I would call complex chronic illness and I've just found for a matter of, uh, experience of treating lots of patients that the, the most common causes seem to fit into four categories, uh, and, and in order of preference, uh, in order of the way I, f- I see the, the importance of them is being that trauma is at number one, the dental stuff is at number two, and obviously we can elaborate on all of that. Uh, number three is, um, toxins and number four is infections. And you know some patients will deal have dealt reasonably well with practitioners with number four. They may have done you know a thirty percent sort of attempt at number three. Number two is very as often very you know they may have had i don't know some amalgam for things removed but that at, at most and number one trauma is never really looked at at all and it's it's normally the patients that I see i'm normally working on one and two. Because a lot of the time, A, they're the most important, but B, they never really touched on anything around that. Um, so and I think if you don't deal with dental the dental issues and you don't deal with trauma, then these patients just generally aren't gonna get better. Because most mm-hmm. of the patients we see in clinic are, are traumatized. Um, and, and, and I think that, I think in a way, we're all, we're all traumatized in our own way. I mean, it's 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 like I think that. There's very few people you you know you meet in the, you know you meet in, in daily life who say you know they're the perfect upbringing, perfect parents.
0: I do meet them though. I do
1: know some people like that, but it, I, it's it's few and far between. And obviously, there's some people who are more traumatised than others.
0: Mm-hmm. And what do you actually mean by the word trauma? And I've heard the term big T and little T. And how does stress maybe 20, 30 years ago impact our health now?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, there's really obvious trauma. I've had patients, I had one patient last year who, you know, I think was raped once, stabbed twice, abducted once, um, oh had God. five boyfriends die on them over a period of 15 years. I mean, there's obviously that sort of level of trauma, and then, you know, which is relatively obvious, or, you know, there's trauma where, I was trying to think of some live examples, you know, um, even something like quite commonly, you know, um, trauma of, of growing up with parents that really should have been divorced um, and actually were always fighting as a child, and you know there's 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 things like that. Obviously there's um, things like um, I had I had someone I had someone in clinic yesterday as an example um, who had alopecia, yeah, um, autoimmune condition when you lose hair on your head, and she, her she was 27 years old. And she, her alopecia only started at six years old when she, when she experienced an attempted kidnapping. Ooh. So a kidnapping of herself, yeah? Um, someone tried to kidnap her. And so this is a you know, very clear example of how, yes, it's a trigger, but I generally believe, and I said to her yesterday, that I, don't, I really feel you need to process that trauma and deal with that trauma, and that's going to be instrumental in you getting better and your hair regrowing so there's just another example i mean obviously loss of obvious ones loss of loved ones um loss um that, that can be a, certainly dealing with that grief you know not dealing with the grief um guilt shame you know there's there's so much shame that can build up through certain traumas and, and life events and actually processing that shame um and actually getting getting you know getting vulnerable to actually. To, and you've got to get vulnerable to deal with trauma and to deal with shame. You you, you have to get vulnerable. And I think that people, vulnerability, people see as a very um, uh, odious thing to do. Um, but actually, being vulnerable is actually, uh, I believe, is a sign of strength. When you look at, um, what's the vulnerability expert? Dr. Brené Brown, mm, you know, the TED yeah. talk lady. Yeah. You know, uh, Daring Greatly was the book, I think mm-hmm. it was. You know, obviously all your, your viewers can look at something like that or her Absolutely. TED talk, you know um you know it, it's really important you know really really important
0: and is it just that the stress causes the trauma causes low-grade stress and inflammation in the body and um does it change the nervous system and adrenal somehow well
1: you know i, I you know stress and trauma what i find commonly with patients certainly the, the, the complex illness is that you know a lot of it comes into sort of you know the field of sort of psychoneuroimmunology neuro, mm-hmm. and the, the patient, what you tend to find with patients is that they could have a, an, a, I don't know, a triggering trauma. And I don't know, let's say, I don't know, you've got an example, like a Lyme patient, let's say, that, you know, the, the, they get bitten by a tick 25 years ago. Um, and they're absolutely fine for 25 years. And then 25 years later, the body's happily dealing with the bacteria that causes Lyme Borrelia. And 25 years later, they, I don't know, they split up with their partner and I don't know, their dog dies. Or they lose their job or something like that yeah so then the immune system is sort of more primed and the immune system doesn't really do well with huge amounts of stressors at one time or long-term chronic stressors let's say that that person then suddenly starts manifesting all the symptoms of lyme disease and because what you have often with stress is just a real loss of immune tolerance so all of those things you're happily dealing with before like you know toxins infections heavy metals and all that stuff you know you're not the body can't ha- really deal with it anymore because the immune system just lost that tolerance because of stress, you know, and people end up with these really chronic conditions and diagnoses like, you know, like mast cell activation disorder and where there are people are reacting to everything because they're reacting to their self. Because of an immune system, that's just not, it's lost that tolerance and vigilance. Mm-hmm. So the stress and the trauma really, really does really make a big difference.
0: Yeah, it'll be like the straw that breaks the camel's back, just that one extra thing that tips you over the edge. Yeah. Um, and yeah. what are some of the therapies or tools that you have people and your patients go through to start to work on some of these traumas? And I'm guessing it takes a long time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of quick techniques rather than sort of slow techniques. When I say slow, technique, I'm not a big fan of psychotherapy because you got to be stuck in that for years. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying it doesn't work for some people, but um, I think you know doing things like, um, like trauma release work, um, things like family constellation therapy. Um, doing uh, we have a we have a practitioner and a team that I refer a lot of work to called Lowell who uses uh, who had 15 years in body based psychotherapy and 25 years experience in energetic medicine. So I refer a lot to him. He's got a very good way about him and uses um, radionics, rife, bioresonance, homeopathy, body based psychotherapy, uh, and mindfulness work um, with people to really try and help re- re- release that sort of trauma. And I find homeopathy can work really really well. Um, I think that so that's quite. I work very closely with Lowell I think using energetic medicine with with patients is, certainly with the complex patients, is very important. I mean, some of my heroes like you know Dr. Jernigan of the Hamza Center in America. He's developed his own proprietary in-house radionic systems for helping using energetic medicine. Or Dietrich Klingart in the States uses um, uh, ART, which is a form of energetic um, treatment, um, which has some some basis obviously in kinesiology um so i do think that's really important i also find that doing um you know working with more traditional stuff like you know nlp emdr um eft can can be useful um some there are there are transformational retreats i often refer patients to like there's a very very good one called the bridge which was born out the hoffman process from the hoffman institute but the lady who set it up wanted to produce something that was more ritual based and a better better transformative experience for people that's like a six-day retreat in close to London which really works on deep emotions um so there's 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 a lot of ways of dealing with it um those are just some of the ways and I do counsel my patients to to a degree myself it's not my area of expertise but I do help them shift those patterns and recognize those patterns you know Mm -hmm. and the things that are actually causing them stress and and grief and upset um and then helping them to try and transform those 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 patterns
0: interesting and i haven't heard of a lot of those things that you just mentioned obviously i heard of um homeopathy and the eft tapping those types of things but um, tell me more about the did you say it was family constellation or something yeah like that? family family
1: constellation therapy or systemic constellation therapy is a um a technique which was developed by a german psychotherapist called bert hellinger uh, he was a bit disillusioned with um conventional psychotherapy and decided he wanted to find something that was a bit faster acting a bit deeper a bit more working on the emotional and spiritual side of things and working more energetically and it's i mean i suppose i could call it a a form of psychodrama but it's sort of more than that um tend to refer to a lady called janet love in london um and there's another person i refer we refer to in devon for the life i've forgotten the person's name now if you type in um, family constellation therapy, Devon, there's a really good lady who does it workshop based there. And I tend to found, you know, I've done it myself on myself with, with at workshops, and I've used, I've sent patients to do it as well. And you can get some really big shifts in your own well-being, um, not just by doing your own sort of story and your own constellation, but actually by participating a participant in others is very healing and very powerful. Normally, these workshops have six to eight people on. You all act out. Um, um, family members of the person whose constellation is in place, and yeah, and, and then often there's a resolution brought, and the person develops insight and is able to heal and realize that that their, their beh- the behaviors of their their family members, uh, it's behaviors that have been carried down family energetically, and can bring out some really profound changes. Um, I remember one case where this lady she had really bad digestion problems, and I couldn't understand why her digestive problems wouldn't get better. And eventually, I just realised it would make sense to refer her for have a family constellation therapy. And she did a couple of sessions, and uh, her digestion problems completely went. So just so with two workshops, so it's, it's quite a. I find it's one of those things you can do two or three workshops, and whereas you could be stuck in therapy for years, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen it time and time and again: patients in two, three, four, five years of therapy, they do a few couple constellation sessions, and there. They solve the problems that years of therapy can't solve.
0: People can get stuck, can't they? Just um, altering, tinkering with the diet a little bit, and looking for the next best supplement to try, and they really overlook mm-hmm. some of these more difficult things to address. But they're actually the most impactful and the most life-changing. Sometimes the more energetic and spiritual things. Are there any books or resources on the subject of trauma or energy medicine that you would like to recommend to the? Audience? Oh,
1: no. No, that's a question.
0: Um, you know, I've read so many books; it's hard to think. About. I know. So there's, oh, okay. so you've got a million floating around no, in your I'm, mind.
1: I've been to specifically on energy. matters for something that's really attractive for the public. I think. You know, I, I'm I'm a really big fan. I think about what book I'm a really big fan of. I need to reread it, and I used to recommend every person who joins the clinic, every practitioner, reads it. I need to reread it myself. I've read it once before, but it's a great book. Very approachable. It's um. Uh, mind over medicine by lisa Rankin. Yeah.
0: yeah that's, that's a that really one. nice one mm-hmm.
1: you a really good insight into the whole mind body approach to yeah. you know to, to, to medicine so
0: that's covering the psychoneuroimmunology yeah. part of things yeah, yeah.
1: that's a Great. nice
0: one or even or even like classic
1: ones like you know like the biology of belief by bruce lipton or molecules of emotion another one
0: mm-hmm. love all of those they're all on my bookshelf so yeah. i'm going to link all of those in the show notes as well and anything else that we talk about I'll pop that in the show notes for people to access Mm. so is there anything else that you want to touch on on trauma before we move on to dental health anything that we've missed Um, I'd say also looking at spiritual you know looking at the spiritual uh, health
1: of patients and I think that a book that really changed completely changed my life was was Autobiography of a Yogi by Yogananda and you know get patients people getting into spirituality can make a very big difference in their life. getting into yoga but not really yoga as people know it as just turning up at the gym and doing asana mm-hmm. or postures for an hour actually getting into the really more deeper the other limbs of yoga breath work you know meditation you know mindfulness whatever you want to call it but getting into that that stuff getting really into um spiritual teachings doesn't have to be any religion based but some of the great sort of people like as i say like Yogananda or um, uh, there's another guy from the CD movement called Swami Muktananda. There's some really great stuff there and, and you know, t- getting into that sort of style of stuff or even, you know, Zen meditation. And there's a lot of options out there. Obviously, if I find the spiritual aspect can be really powerful and healing for many people.
0: I haven't read that book, so that's definitely on my list. Um, I'm uh, always looking for new recommendations. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And that's always one of my questions for clients. Do you feel like your life has meaning and purpose? And you'd be surprised as to how many people say no, even those who seem to have it all. They have the the nice family, the good jobs, the money, but they're struggling with that spiritual aspect. So I think that's a really crucial question and can be uh, very eye-opening. So factor number two is the dental issues. What exactly do you mean by this? Is it things like the mercury amalgams? And how would someone know if they had issues with the oral health?
1: Yeah, so with the dental stuff, I, um, obviously the first, the obvious one, like you mentioned, is how they got amalgam fillings, which, you know, obviously an amalgamation of metals, mainly mercury, silver, and, and others. Um, mercury is the most toxic substance known to mankind. I mean, if you know, I mean, you could argue that plutonium is more toxic, but that's man-made. Um, so, you know, it, mercury amalgams, even though if they're very old, will leach vapour still on a daily basis, especially even with warm drinks, uh, in, into the mouth, into the tissues. And, you know, it's an incredibly toxic substance. And many people do have an issue, with, especially the, the with complex illness, have an issue with mercury toxicity. Patients, certainly with things like... Uh, Hormone irregularities, but specifically with um, Hashimoto's, I find, you know, with the thyroid, you know, Mercury has a very um, big affinity for binding to thyroid tissue. Um, so I do find a lot of the Hashimoto's patients will have issues around Mercury. And, you know, if you've got, say, three or four or five or ten amalgam fillings, it's, it's good. It's for well, how many you've got. It's a good idea to have them change to white ones with a biological dentist, um, the problem of using a normal dentist to change them to white ones is they don't really tend to follow very safe guidelines to do that. They don't even use a dental dam, which is really the bare minimum it's a big rubber dam you put in your mouth. Um, also, you should do a detox beforehand and afterwards, and it takes a long time to get mercury out of the body. I mean, you know, you're talking most people, you know, doing it properly. I mean, it used to take me about two years to get patients down to mercury down to zero. I, I can get it down in a year now, um, but by, by using IVs as well, having patients having IVs regularly. So I've, I've got the evidence, like, right, we're testing to show that, but now we can do it in under a year, um, which is pretty good. And I'm, I'm still very safely not using any sort of harsh harsh techniques. Um, so that's the first thing, um, obviously, or well, well, one thing, uh, is mercury. Then, obviously, I'm looking at other forms of metals in the mouth, whether that's um, crowns, which are still metallic. Uh, and what you have with metals in the mouth is the, uh, galvanic currents are created between the different metals. And for, and for patients who are quite sick, that, that can be making things worse for them. Not only are there galvanic currents, um, some patients develop uh, metal sensitivity. So they may have developed sensitivity to uh, the metals in their mouth. Quite commonly, think obviously mercury, but things like nickel as well um, is a very common sensitivity. And titanium is a very common sensitivity. Uh, and aluminium, sorry, as well. So when you have titanium implants, um, they're never 100% titanium. There's always a small amount of aluminium anyway. So often we will do um, melisa testing from Germany to look at metal sensitivity if the patient's had crowns or if they've had uh, implants that are titanium to check that they haven't um, lost immune tolerance to those those particular metals. If let's say they have lost immune tolerance, then the recommendation would be to change the crowns, change the um, implants to ones that are more hypoallergenic um, made of ceramic. Yeah? Um, so that's, um that's one another thing that i would i would suggest doing also with with the um also another thing is root canals so root canals are generally bad news they i mean i went to a conference last year a couple of a few years ago where the conference adopted called root canals pus pockets which i thought was a great great term for root canals there's a much big ability for, to harbor bacteria within the root canal regardless of how clean they do it originally in the first place And it seems like the leading lights in biological dentistry are now all recommending that actually patients shouldn't really have root canals at all. They should either lose the tooth or have an implant. Um, Again, with the bacteria that builds up, there's also when patients have tooth extractions um, or they have wisdom teeth done, there is um, quite a big tendency to getting um, focal infections in the jawbone, and those are called jawbone cavitations. Um, they won't show up on x-ray. So patients think everything's fine, the teeth and mouse are an asshole, fine, they have systemic problems in the body, they don't link, they don't link the um, pains they're getting in their knee or the fatigue they're getting to focal infections in the jawbone and the only way you can find out is by doing what's called a CBCT scan, a 3D cone beam scan. Um, some dentists do have this but it tends to be the biological dentists that, or the holistic dentists that have them so I tend to refer very regularly um to biological dentists to do a 3D cone beam scan to make sure there aren't any um you know infections within the jawbone. If the patient does have infections within the jawbone, then I, I get them to have it treated, normally using ozone and laser, laser therapy to have them completely cleaned up. Um I'm trying to think if I've make sure i've covered all the dental stuff we've done implants we've done cavitations we've done amalgams
0: what about just general dysbiosis in the mouth yeah, like I mean, thrush you know, and yeah candida bacterial imbalances
1: yeah i mean patients obviously i mean quite quite often
0: you know the actual
1: issues in the mouth can very much often be caused by the metals so you know you'll often see you know like um Patients have like the autoimmune condition, like lichen, you know, often that's caused by amalgam, you know, often caused by amalgam fillings or, or other metals within the mouth um, can be an issue. Sometimes I've had, I've had patients with braces as well or metal plates in the mouth. Again, same sort of thing, you know, any, any mess in the mouth, they have, and they'll have um, sensitivity to titanium or nickel. Sometimes patients are having treatment for TMJ, you know, with the jaw tetramandibular joint and again the 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 plate or the what do they call it the thing they the the guard they wear at night Mm. again is actually i often find all their symptoms came on after they had the the guard made so what i normally do is i get i refer them on to have a guard made of hypoallergenic materials and they often do better after that
0: and what about the plastic retainers sometimes people were i'm guessing they can be prone to bacterial infections and overgrowth and biofilms if they're not cleaned properly, do you see that being an issue? Um, I, I'm sure it is. It's not something
1: I'm not saying I regularly see per se. I mean, I think with you know, plastics can be a problem for some people. Obviously, with things like BPA. I mean, interestingly, the white fillings that you, that you know, most people have at their dentist are actually made from BPA. So, and, and so even 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 some of the so called holistic dentists are replacing mercury uh, fillings with with white fillings that are made from BPA. So you need to make sure that the dentist you're seeing. It's using BPA white fillings, especially if you've got a thyroid problem because again, BPA has a big affinity with, with with autoimmunity with thyroid. So it's, I asked a biological dentist a few years ago, who I work with and I said to them, why are these other holistic dentists still using the the white fillings that have BPA? And he said, he said, look, they just, he says, the reason is he says they just see it as much less toxic than the mercury, but they just don't think to get rid of, make it completely, completely toxin free. Mm -hmm. That's something to be, to be mindful of.
0: Yeah, they've upgraded it a little bit, but still not a hundred percent. And yeah. I'm guessing that there's a lot more choice in London for a good biological dentist, but is there a resource or like a website directory for the UK?
1: Yeah, yeah you go to IO I mean I O A M T U K. Okay. International association of oral medicine and toxicology there you go i've got it mm. um so um yeah there's a, a very good practice in huddersfield with john roberts yeah. if you're up north there's a practice in glasgow as far as i'm aware there's the ndu clinic in london and then there's helena in uh, elite dental in marlowe those would be probably the only practices i would i would use in the uk
0: yeah and I've been to one of John Roberts' talks before and he's great, yeah. he's yeah. such a great practitioner. And
1: yeah.
0: with the other ones on that website, would you have to kind of interview them a little bit as to see whether they use the BPA-containing ones or are they all pretty safe on the Well, I, I check
1: they're following the SMART guidelines. I, don't, I can't remember exactly what SMART stands, but it's something like self-safe um, mercury amalgam removal technique or something mm. like that. But you'll see they're following the SMART guidelines. That's, that's a starting point.
0: Okay, perfect. And you mentioned before about the mercury and Hashimoto's connection. And I've seen that firsthand too with my mom, She had antibodies in the 300s range and we tried all of the regular things like healing the gut and going on a gluten-free diet, managing stress. And they, re- they reduced a little bit, but it wasn't until we had the mercury amalgams removed that the antibodies dropped down to like 100 and something. So it's a huge improvement with that one. And you mentioned before about the IVs that you use. Are there any particular nutrients or supportive things that you add in to support detoxification of mercury?
1: Well, what I found was, I mean, with with mercury detox, I mean, I I tend to use a mixture of stuff. I mean, you go into the literature, and you know, you you can you can know you can use curcumin, you can use garlic. You know, there's a whole heap of stuff you can use for, for mercury detox. Obviously, binders are key, whether you're mm. using different types of charcoals and clays and things like zeolite and and uh, like uh, I, I, quite, I quite like a particular bamboo charcoal, a bamboo charcoal called Takasumi Supreme. I quite like. Um, I like modified citrus pectin, NAC. Um, Corella, you know cilantro um, so there's, there's lots of different options in I'll tend to mix things up I use the MSA as well orally but, 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 with the, but with the IVs I think that I tend to find that I just found by, by chance when I was at a, at a group of patients that doing like vitamin C and glutathione IVs uh, with immune, immunomodulating sort of nutrients as well can be very very useful and the protocol that I've been using for the last year a couple of years is I get patients to a package of 10 IVs as an intensive after they've had their amalgams removed so i tend to try to get them to come in twice a week for just two months for just about two months and then after that do like a maintenance dose of one iv a month and i just found that i was getting almost results on like twice twice the rate in time you know twice as quick as i had been previously when i wasn't doing the ivs with patients um so yeah and i think that i find that you know there isn't i know there's there's sort of commentators out there like. Um, uh, Andy Cutler, um, who puts, uh, especially with the autism sort of world, and you know, and it, it's sort of like it's quite an extreme approach to chelation. And I think I'm not really a fan of anyone out there who says, "Oh, it's sort of my way or the highway," and this is the only way to do this. Uh, I find that a bit a bit sort of alarm bells go off for me. Um, in, in any, you know, in any sort of, um, you know. Uh, modality in, in medicine and um so we do sometimes get patients coming in wanting to do the Andy Cutler protocol and i don't really i don't really want to do that with patients i just i hate a hassle b i don't think it's safe um but i think i have just say to your audience anyone who you ever hear anything people saying this is the only way to do this um i wouldn't
0: i'd run a mile yeah <laughs> agreed and what are your thoughts on fluoride
1: yeah, I mean I mean there is absolutely no real no need, I mean, to have fluoride in, you know, in, in the drinking water. Um I mean I think if, if if your audience wants to get sort of chapter and verse in it, they can look, look at how Huggins' work, who was one of the sort of godfathers of, of of biological dentistry, or have a look at um, in America, there's a guy called um oh god, uh, Stuart Nunnley, another really good biological dentist, talks quite extensively on fluoride. Mm. Um, yeah.
0: So you'd recommend fluoride free toothpaste and yeah. water filters.
1: Yeah. yeah. And also, you know, another reason to with the problem with fluoride is it's a halide and it's a toxic halide like 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 um, chloride, chlorine and, um, and um, bromine. Mm-hmm. And what they tend to do is they, they there's a thing called like competitive inhibition that goes on in the body where the toxic halides tend to push out the nutritive halide, which is iodine. And obviously, especially with patients with 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 thyroid issues, Obviously, your thyroid hormones are made from from iodine. I mean, your your T three and T four stands for triiodine, and the, and the difference between T three and T four is one iodine molecule. So, you know, I know there is some con- con- controversy with regards to using iodine with um, patients with Hashimoto's, but I I have had you know I've used. I use very high dose iodine, low dose iodine with patients with Hashimoto's and Graves successfully with thousands of patients. I've never had a problem with any of those patients. So uh, I'm a big fan of um, using iodine um, with, with um, well, many, well, most of my patients, but definitely so Graves and Hashimoto's.
0: Do you have any recommendations for fluoride free and non-toxic toothpaste that you can get in the UK? Because I know that a lot of brands are US
1: yeah, I mean, I do, I import this really cool one from America. I can't. Um, I can't remember the name of it. I've got like twenty-five tubes of it in my cupboard. <laughs> I, I buy it in bulk, but um, so I tend to use that one. And um, there's lots of like tooth powders, like like uh, eco-friendly tooth powders mm-hmm. that come on the market now. And I I don't know the names off the top of my head. But there's a lot of these tooth powders around. Whether they're effective or not, I I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, so I can't really comment. because I, I use this one from America, I'm a bit out of touch with the UK toothpaste market. Yeah.
0: There's one by Biobotanical Research, the Bio. Oh, yeah. yeah, It's a denticidin. Have you that tried one. that one? Yeah.
1: It's a, yeah. Bit of a bit of a. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, was a key, I wasn't so yeah. keen on the taste, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's very effective.
0: Yeah. It's got some good ingredients in there. Oh, yeah. Not a little bit pricey, but I'm sure it's it's effective, which is Yeah, I bet good. it is. Yeah. Yeah. And then number three, factor number three is the toxicity piece. Um, let's start with the heavy metals in a bit more detail are there any other metals to be concerned about we've spoken about amalgams a little bit the mercury i think that
1: obviously we we touched quite a lot on and i think the way is you know interesting. the way to detoxify top for for most toxins is very is relatively similar you know it's binders it's supporting the liver um with other metals obviously we mentioned about um titanium but again that's more like getting titanium out of the body, whether it's in um, from plates in the mouth. I've had people have had titanium uh, screws in, in orthopedic implants, and they're reacting to the screws and the plates in orthopedic implants, and they've had to have those removed. And often, often they rust, basically they'll, they'll rust in the body. Mm-hmm. They oxidize a lot of the screws in, in orthopedic implants, and I mean patients having them changed over. I've seen that quite a few times. Um, obviously lead is a classic one, most people are exposed to lead either A, through being a child of lead petrol, being, uh, obviously the mains coming into houses are all lead mains, even if you've got a new house and all the pipes are plastic, the main is still lead. So the only way of avoiding that is having like a reverse osmosis uh, water filtration system in the house. Um, then obviously your, uh, where else is lead? Obviously there's lead in paints and stuff. So lead is another one. and again, you know, people who are lead working as well, is, is, if people historically were lead workers, Plumbers. Um, So I have seen a. I did treat a plumber a couple of years ago um, for multiple sclerosis, and I remember saying to him, "Oh, you know, you've got to be careful with the lead." I said to him because you work as a plumber. I said, "Let's get your lead tested," and he was like, "Oh, well, forget that. I used to be a lead worker." I said, well, there you go. I mean, lead workers these days have to have a blood test every three months. In those days, he wasn't even blood tested. And obviously, his lead was, you know, off the chart. We um, So most, most of the reasons that he had MS was because of lead toxicity. And we we we've been we were treating, we treating him for a few years. And then he had no more MS after that. Um, I've forgotten who the leading authority in the world on lead is. It's a guy. He's a doctor in America. He says to get lead completely out of the body takes 15 years. Um, now... I've, I've got lead levels down pretty, a lot quicker than that with patients. Um, but I don't doubt what he says. To get it probably down to normal, it probably, could, it probably can take that long. It's in the bone, so you've got to use chelating agents like, like DMSA. I'm a big fan of sauna, um, of infrared sauna. Now, the problem with light therapy or infrared sauna is, is that most people think they go to the sauna at the gym or you go to an infrared sauna cabin or they get a cabin for home. The problem with these devices is they're not um, full-body infrared. So the only the only company I know producing full body infrared sauna is a company called Get Fit who are based in Radlett um, and they have a showroom there and they do these cocoon and mat based saunas um, and then patients can trial them for a month or two they can rent them for a bit and if they feel really good benefits so well, then they can then yeah I think it comes off the purchase price and then they just carry on renting or they buy it or whatever um, I've got one at home um, and I you know I love it I go on it well I don't go on it often enough but I should do given the amount of toxins we're exposed to. And what's interesting, I think animals, you know, animals um, instinctively know what's good for them. My dog always tries to get on it when I'm on <laughs> it, and I had another visiting dog a few months ago who, who clambered on as well. So right. I think that's an interesting one. I, I and mean, animals know what's inst- instinctively what's good for them. Yeah. Um, so I think I think everyone should have an infrared sauna at home. I think I think it's just a very good insurance policy against the you know the toxins that we're, we're exposed to in the world now.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to invest in one in the next couple of months. Um, so thank you for the recommendation there. And is there a go-to test that you like for checking heavy metals? Would it be a blood yeah, test that's a really or...? Good,
1: that's a really good question. I, I, I like, um. There's, there's two There's two tests I probably use, in, well, three tests I use as my mainstay. The one I use the most is, is the pre- and post-provoked uh, urine test. So you get a baseline level of metals before provocation with, with, with the MSA, which is done based on weight, and then see what the provocation level is, post-provocation level in the urine. And I compare the levels. And if patients have got quite a high ratio in the post to the pre, then you know you've really got um a problem. It's very rare we see high levels in the pre pre-provocation. I think people just don't aren't detoxing very well. And I think it's, it, it's because a lot of the metals are in the bone, I think it's 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 difficult for it to show in a in a pre-test about provocation. Um, that's one test they use, <clears throat> and then for mercury specifically, I, I I'm a big fan of the um The quicksilver mercury tri-test and that's the only test out there that that measures the um uh, levels of organic and inorganic mercury but it also measures the excretion rate in, in the hair and the urine so the test result can show you a have you got a lot in the body and b are you getting rid of it so the worst case scenario is you've got loads in the body b and that you can't get rid of it and what they do is they plot your results on a graph and they plot your results against the average person uh the average going to the lab so obviously, anyone who goes to the lab thinks they've got high levels. So if you're like massively higher than the average, you know you've really got a problem.
0: Should we all just assume that we do have heavy metals and go through regular detoxification? Are there any classic symptoms that would really point towards toxicity with metals?
1: <sighs> it's a difficult one. You know, it's it's difficult to say because the symptoms of things can can overlap quite a lot. But but I but I I do find that. Um, Especially, obviously, someone's had an album fillings, That—that's—that's that's obviously a, a telltale sign. Industries that people have worked in. Um, what else? It's very hard. I think MS is. I think MS is quite a big one for me with, with heavy metals. There's lots of other things of MS that come to mind. And I find with Hashimoto's as well. I'm often thinking of Mercury uh, and Graves. Autoimmunity um, in general. You know, I think autoimmunity in general. I'm often I'm often thinking about heavy metals
0: as part of the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And do you have any recommendations for water filters, um, air filter brands in the UK as well? Because, again, a lot of the ones that I read about online are all US-based and they're hard to get. So are there any um, good UK brands that are reputable?
1: Yeah, I, I tend to use a... I, I mean, there's... there's um, I tend to use a suggest for patients. There's a, there's a um, company called Freshly Squeezed Water that I tend to use. and maybe this ionizer and reverse osmosis system. Um it's about four hundred pounds installed. So that's not bad. one um, well, of my colleagues in my team imports a really good system from Germany. Um that I'm probably gonna get installed in my new house actually. That's a bit more pri- that's a bit more expensive, it's about it's about twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred pounds. Um but but it's a different it's a it's a different class. So you pay you are paying for what you get. And that goes through many, many different stages of filtration, including reverse osmosis. Um, what's so that maybe, called? Oh, you know, I don't know the name of it, but I, I can find it out for you. Okay. Um, and again, there is something I came across the other day. If, if people just can't really, you know, get a plumbed in system. I did come across that the other day, which looked really quite cool. like, I think it's like zero jug or something. It was a jug oh, based yeah, yeah. system. Mm. It looked good. I mean, whether it, whether it does, I mean, they had this video of like turning wine, red wine into water, which was quite cool. <laughs> um, but I think, um, and they claim to get, they make all these outlandish claims to get, you know, the, the microns parts per million down really low, but whether that's true or not, I don't mm. know. Um, and obviously there's a system that's quite popular in America, and you can still get it in the UK, it's the Berkey system, which is tabletop, uh, was used, I think, in the, I think it was in the army originally, and that's, that, that has quite a good following from the functional medicine doctors in America.
0: Mm-hmm. And I've got that one personally, and I've seen the zero jug. I, it looks similar to a Brita, which don't really do anything, do they? Yeah. And I think it's less than £100, so that could be a good thing to look into yeah. a lot of people. What about pesticides, glyphosate, GMOs? Is it, is it as much as a problem here in the U.K. as in the
1: U.S.? Um, well, I haven't really done any comparative study looking at it. I, I never really looked into it, but I assume it must be very similar to the U.S. Um, I mean, glyphosate, we do, I do measure glyphosate levels in patients from time to time. More often than not, it's elevated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I measured it myself. It was normal. I was quite happy with that. All right, uh, good. But I've, eaten, I've eaten organically for many, many years um but what's interesting i mean patients do often have uh, organophosphate poisoning i I, I do measure organophosphates and herbicides and pesticides in patients and but the nice thing is with that is is that you know if you follow an organic diet for about three four months you can get the levels down to almost normal so actually switching organics you you could actually get really quick 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 results
0: and what are the harmful effects of the pesticides why is it that you choose to eat organic
1: um well i mean. ultimately you know you, you you're basically putting, putting toxins in, in, into the body and i think that you know we live in a we live in a sort of chemical soup now in terms of i think i don't know what the figures are but it's hundreds of thousands of more toxins and chemicals that were exposed to say 50 to 75 years ago you can't live in a bubble but i think reducing exposure using sauna you know going plastic free um there's, there's lots of things you can do but you can't you can't live in a bubble so i i just try and do a, a whatever i can you know using natural skincare, natural body care ranges you know like green people or faith in nature or whatever it might be um and um yeah and just trying to keep keep on top of the the latest you know evidence i mean i think it was you know originally you know i remember i remember about seven or eight years ago i had a chat i had a chat with green people and i said to me you know you've got titanium in titanium dioxide in your products and they said, oh, no, it's fine. We're one of the few companies that, that make sure it's nanoparticles. And I said to them, oh, I don't know about that. I remember this conversation nearly 10 years ago, and I don't know about that. I'm not sure even that's great. And now, interestingly, in the last three or four years, all this evidence is coming out now that actually these titanium dioxide nanoparticles in so-called natural products are really not good for us at all either. So it's, yeah, it's difficult. And I think, I think the only way of um, really avoiding this stuff is finding very, very clean ranges, or making your own cosmetics
0: mm-hmm. it's getting better there's many more options but we do need to still be vigilant and
1: yeah.
0: check the ingredients list because there is a lot of greenwashing where brands and products claim that they're organic and non-toxic but they're really not and they're just mm. masking it a little bit which is scary yeah. and another toxicity piece that's on my radar recently and seems to be a missing puzzle piece for me would be mycotoxins mold exposure and sick building syndrome and I've struggled with health issues for many years particularly things like hormone imbalances, inflammation, food sensitivities to histamine in particular some more of the mast cell related symptoms and I recently did a mycotoxin panel by Great Plains Labs and it's off the charts with many different species. Tell me more about how you see this affecting people how prevalent it is and maybe some symptoms that people may be experiencing yeah
1: the the, the problem with mold toxicity is that it tends to overlap quite a lot with Lyme. (laughs) Um, and i think the testing is okay that exists for for mycotoxins i think it's okay Uh, we tend to use one or two labs either vibrant labs or or or, um great plains or real-time labs is quite expensive They're, they're not a bad lab either Um, But I I tend to go more on a history of patients, you know, if if there's an element of water damage to the building where they've lived, there's been a leak, uh, their symptoms improve when they're out the house and in the house, or they go on holiday and they feel better, Um, if you've got children at home who are suffering from allergies since moving to the house, like asthma, that's often a telltale sign along with the the parents themselves who've got issues as well. Um, again, it's still coupled with the trauma. I often find that the trauma comes first. It, tr- it lowers the immune response. The patient then becomes more susceptible to things like mold being an issue. Um, it doesn't have to be, I know it's, it's just to complicate matters, it doesn't even have to be visible mold in the house. You know, It could be under the, under the floor, under the concrete. You can have sodden concrete in the house, which is a subfloor to, to even to a wooden floor. And the only way you're gonna know that's there is through infrared imaging. So we tend to refer to a surveyor who does infrared imaging if need be um, in people's homes um you need to remove the exposure first so you need to find where it's coming from and then remediate or move house um and then obviously get it out the body um i'm not really a fan of the again like i was saying earlier of the shoemaker protocol um because again it's one of those sort of approaches where it's sort of his way or the highway and he says it's the only way to treat something so i always sort of run a mile from from people like that um the only thing i do tend to agree with with dr shoemaker is is that you know you do need to remove the exposure I'm much more a fan of the approaches that are. uh, I'm I'm a founder member of an organization in America called um, ISEAI International Society for Environmentally Acquired Illness. So if patients want to get good information about mold and environmental illness, that's really the place to place to go to. I think it's ISEAI.org. And um, yeah, using those sort of protocols and a much more diverse protocol for, for, mold removal from, from the body, mycotoxin, sorry, is, is a much more sensible approach. Um, again, you know, patients and your audience can look at a very good book by um, Dr. Neil Nathan called Toxic. Um, Neil's a, a chum of mine. He tends to refer most of his non-US work to our clinic um, because we, we we tend to follow the types of protocols that he uses and ISEI use, uh, although he's no longer a board member of them, I should say um because he left
0: voluntarily
1: um so yeah what else can i tell you
0: yeah that's another great book i agree and the surveillance company that you mentioned who would come into your home is that the building forensics yes yeah, jeff and
1: yeah. jeff and his and his colleague uh building forensics yeah those would be the guys I'd t- the only guys i would say i would tend to refer to in the uk
0: And what about remediation? If I'm right, they don't actually do the repair work. Are there any companies in the UK that you would trust to do that correctly? Mm -hmm. You can't just get the local handyman to come in or even do it yourself like some people would try to?
1: No, it's difficult. I think as long as the the guidelines and the criteria that Jeff has suggested are followed to the letter and there's no shortcuts, then that's the key, I think. Mm. Uh, And there's always people trying to do a lot of shortcuts. That's the problem
0: absolutely and it can get pretty expensive and what about for, for someone like me who's will be moving in a few months time but obviously still in the environment now what are some of the things that could be done to reduce symptoms in the meantime would it just be things like binders
1: yeah binders i mean again um I think you you know using uh, it is may it does tend to mainly be binders. People can use transfer factors and research nutritionals like the Enviro transfer factors, are quite good. Um, you know, de- doing just general detox work. Um, I know some people are a fan of the, the, the herb sarsaparilla. Um, for, for, I tend to use that science through Supreme Nutrition, which is Smilax Supreme, through um, Supreme Nutrition. Um, <clears throat> we do tend to get quite good results helping patients um, doing things like limbic rekindling. Um, There's a couple of systems out there, there's the GUPTA program in the UK, Mm. there's the DNRS system from America, Uh, I tend to refer quite a lot of patients to use DNRS, Um, again sauna, Mm -hmm. Um, again quite a fan of, Um, and the the foot baths can be quite good, the the ionic foot baths can be quite nice um, for um, detoxification of toxins, quite big in the autism movement. But they are very good for Lyme and and, and, mold, and mold and heavy metals. Well, obviously, they're big in the autism movement because of the heavy metal um, ability to, to, to get rid of heavy metals. We do have these machines in the clinic. I, I tend to recommend patients to maybe a block of 10 sessions, and if they really feel a lot of benefit,
0: then they can just go and buy one for home use. Okay. So that is just something like a, a, a machine or something that you buy? It's not like just yeah. a, yeah, a machine that
1: you, of... you, 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 you buy. Um, and it uses ions to basically help the body detoxify from from, from toxins. It's a football, effectively, like a uh, watering. Okay. There is um, the, the water does change from orange color, and there is some misinformation on the internet saying, "Well, the orange signifies the toxins coming out." It doesn't. It's just it's just the way mm. the, the water interacts with the electrode. So that's mm. not that. Don't let anyone tell you that's all toxic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Might make you feel a little bit better. You're like I'm yeah. detoxing. Yeah. Re- leaving my body. <laughs> yeah. But it's not true and yeah one that was particularly high for me but I can't really find a lot of information about it I'm just wondering if you had any clinical insights would be mycophenolic acid and just with my food sensitivities reacting strongly to phenols things like salicylates and um, certain herbs have you noticed any particular um, research that's linked to that particular mycotoxin it was like um, quite high i think the upper limit was 100 and i was like 350
1: well mycophenic acid
0: um
1: is um is formed f- effectively from okra so normally patients with um, high levels of okra a will have quite elevated levels of mycophenic acid as well mm, normally yeah, yeah um but in terms of the link into phenol-containing food pass hmm. I, don't, I don't necessarily know I haven't had an experience saying to patients well cut down on those phenyl containing foods and noting any improvement with symptoms in relation to that no yeah. I haven't got experience of that
0: okay yeah just kind of my thoughts if it was blocking up the pathway a little bit and yeah. taking up all I of the energy that's fine I don't, I don't know. and then last piece on the toxicity um, would be vaccines so I know this is like a controversial subject but could you talk a bit more about the adjuvants in vaccines? And uh, yeah, it's another whole
1: podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's something I'm very passionate about, um, about vaccines. And I could talk for a long, long time on that. And I I think that I think the audience, you know, if they really want to get some insight into vaccines, you know, there's um they can um, I'm just looking for a book on my bookshelf because
0: um like spotted um
1: yeah this is the one i don't know if you can see that yeah. but that's a great one um
0: vaccination policy and the uk government the unto- untold truth interesting yeah.
1: yeah that's a really good book um it's written by a research journalist um that's a good book but also people if they want more sort of something that's a little bit less something that's a bit sort of what's the word uh, you know in bite size they can watch the truth about vaccine series yeah um, which you can get online. That's a really, that's a really mm-hmm. good insight into it. Um, you know, the, the problem with vaccines is, sto- uh, yeah, it depends how long we've got really but mm-hmm. the problem with vaccines, obviously historically was, you know, was the heavy metals in it. They're not, well, they replaced, they got rid of mercury. The flu vaccine had, had mercury up in it up until March. That's been removed now. Um, but now obviously the, the, the uh, mercury has been replaced with, um, with aluminium. Um, so they replaced one toxin, but now that's just on the, obviously on the metal side, there's, um, there's unborn fetal tissue in in vaccines um, there's uh you know the 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 up, the, up, uh, the increase and in upsurge in polio in the world now has now been attributed to actually polio vaccines causing rogue polio strains now uh, and that's why there's been an up, up increase in polio um you know you've got the vaccine injury compensation fund in America well <laughs> it's called that for a reason mm-hmm. uh, you know which has paid out billions and billions of dollars you know to families. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I haven't got a problem with the concept of immunization. I've just got a problem with what goes into the, 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 the vaccines we're giving our children. And the really, the really irritating thing is, is that, you know, you go to your doctor or even a pediatrician and you say to them, Hey doc, um, there's, and then, you know, there's only about, you know, the UK vaccination schedule is about 40 odd vaccines. America's about 60 odd, but out of those vaccines, there's only about, there's only about, uh, only about ten vaccines in total. You just most of them just boosters over your life cycle. Mm. And, you know, there's only really ten. Ten you really need to know about. And you go to your um, pediatrician or doctor, and you say to them, "Hey, what's what's the ingredients in my vaccine?" And I guarantee you, not one of those pediatricians or doctors will be able to tell you the ingredients. And you know, which is pretty shocking because if someone comes to our clinic and someone asks you, "What's in a supplement? What's it?
0: What are what are
1: the even the excipients in a supplement?" We would know. Mm-hmm. What's in your herbal formulas? We'd be able to tell them. Yeah. And you know, but they can't actually tell you, they've only got ten vaccines to think about what actually the ingredients are in those um vaccines. And that's that's pretty shocking. And one other point on vaccination, otherwise, you know, you've got me started now. One other, one <laughs> I other love point it. on vaccination is there has never been ever a double blind placebo controlled trial on any vaccine in history. Now, the reason why there hasn't is because they say it's unethical to have a control group. It could, but any but any other any other um, uh, any other site you know t- drug or anything that, that has to stand up to scientific rigor effectively the gold standard would be a double blind placebo control trial or even a meta meta analysis of double blind placebo control trials but there's never been one of those because they say it, they say it's it's unethical to give to have a control group. Um, I understand that. I understand the thought process behind that, but that's incredibly convenient. Mm.
0: And especially if they're using them primarily on children and infants,
1: mm.
0: if, who are the, probably the most sensitive of the population. Yeah, yeah, really yeah, scary I, I mean, stuff. I, I
1: mean, I've 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 treated enough vaccine damaged children. I've met enough that vaccine damaged children through friends through through, through through people at, at my daughter's school and other schools. Um, you know, you look at um, Dr. Stephanie Seneff in America, leading research scientist at MIT. and um, she, she she estimates by 2032, one in two um, American boys will be born autistic. And she very accurately um, plots the uh, autism rise in direct correlation with the, um, and, and causation with the uh, rise in vaccinations.
0: Right. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've definitely heard a lot about Stephanie Senna and wanted to get her on the podcast. I know that she's big on sulfur and glyphosate as well. Yeah, yeah. So she could be a, a good person to talk to she's on that She's probably the well. world's
1: leading authority on glyphosate.
0: Oh, great. Amazing. And then finally for you, the subject of infections, which I know is a, a passion for you as well. Starting with, let's talk about gut infections, so things like parasites and SIBO and Candida how common do you see these being a problem and what's your approach to treatment i know that you can't really give specifics but a lot of practitioners are like kill 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 everything are you following that that approach or are you more like get everything back into balance using more probiotics
1: um, yeah i mean a mixture really um i, I think a real mixture in the gut improving digestion um with regard to testing i think that you know a lot of people will test patients with parasites the parasites will be negative and they'll think well it's not a problem and we don't need to treat the patient and I think you know just because you can't find a parasite in the stool doesn't mean it's not in the brain or in the mm. blood um you know Dr. Alan McDonald in America has been doing you know I think it's, I think it's like autopsies or what have you I think it's like dead people and, and finding you know parasites in the brain of people And you know, especially in Alzheimer's patients as well. So, I think that just I think a mistake a lot of people are making is they think, well, there's no parasites in the stool, then you know, the patient can't have parasites being a problem for them. So, I tend to treat a lot of patients clinically for parasites. Um, and sometimes it is a process of elimination, you know, sometimes you'll treat people for parasites and it won't do anything, you know, but sometimes you need to do that when patients are chronically ill. And they're looking for answers, and they've been to thirty practices before they get to us. Sometimes, you know, there, there is a bit of you know tinkering around to you to you get there. But a, a lot of it is, you know, certainly for my own practices, you know, for, for intuition. Um, I often find that patients are getting quite a lot of what we call like fasciculations, these really weird tremors and like sort of jumpy and muscle twitches. That's quite that's often quite a big one for me for parasites. Um, those muscle twitches, and yes, you can treat it with herbal medicine, quite rigorous protocols of herbal medicine. But sometimes those, those protocols don't work, and then I'll refer on for a more pharmaceutical approach mm-hmm. and the parasites.
0: And what testing do you recommend for full comprehensive look into what's going on, or are none well, of the well, well, tests well, really that accurate, and you just go off symptoms?
1: I mean, we we t- we're using at the moment. Um, uh, we tend to use a, a test from Germany that we that we have in the U- in the UK, and that we've got uh, along with um, uh, another company sort of. Um, sole distribution rights for, which is a, a test from a German lab called BioVis. Um, and um, yeah, that that seems to be the best of the bunch at the moment. Um, but, you know, science is always evolving. You know, we used to use Genova test, and then it was like the GI map for America. Now we're using the BioVis test. You know, I still think stool testing is pretty much, you know, it's in its infancy. It's a snapshot. It's uh, where people get their reference ranges from is a bit debatable. Um, I think stool testing is good. They get me wrong but I, I i i um i do think that um a lot of the time i am trying to treat patients empirically um I, it's like you know you know sort of if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck then often it's a duck
0: yeah and what about viral infections what are the most common ones that you see maybe what are some symptoms that someone has viruses i'm guessing we all have viruses but yeah. why are some people yeah. more susceptible yeah. to symptoms
1: yeah, I think it's more, again, goes back to trauma and stress. When the immune system's stressed, these things tend to proliferate. I mean, obviously, classical classical ones would be things like, you know, people's herpes um, would, you know, appear under times when they're, when, when they're under stress. That's obviously a, a classic one, or gland swelling up, fatigue. Um, sometimes people get flawed, don't they, by with glandular fever and are never the same since. Um that's all quite but a lot of the time with her I'm using herbs to treat people with viruses because the herbs, you know, will be antiviral, but most of them are immunomodulating at the same time. Um so that's often the beauty with herbs, you know, they have multiple properties. So you know you can use, I don't know, lemon balm, which is great, it's very good for the nervous system, but it's also antiviral. Um again, like St. John's wort is antiviral, but very good for the nervous system and depression. Um Astrag- astragalus you know which again is very good for the immune system got, it has antiviral properties mm-hmm. so there's yeah that's what that's why i quite like I quite like using herbs i mean again you know you can do high, high dose vitamin c therapy is very good for, um, for viruses so people come sometimes come in and have 50 grams of vitamin c at a time
0: mm-hmm. yeah and do you have have any people who react negatively to ivs and what would that indicate
1: um it's very rare but I mean very, very rare. I mean I, I can maybe only remember maybe two bad reactions to IVs in the last five years. I say bad. I'm gonna say bad, mm. but they were bad, but they just weren't they weren't positive. Yeah. You know, not, nothing 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 serious or life threatening, obviously. Um yeah, it's very rare that I can remember a, a, a poor reaction to it. Um yeah, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to think of any. Would it just be
0: that they're maybe sensitive to one of the ingredients? Like they could be with anything, or would it be that maybe they're pretty toxic I and
1: in, I think in I think in one case sorry, I can remember it was more that the patient was a very nervous patient. Yeah. I think that was one, I quite yeah. panicky. Uh, another patient, I think I remember happening about maybe about three or four years ago, was, was again was a very, very sensitive patient. And it was one of his very again may well have reacted to one of the one of the nutrients as mm. possible.
0: Okay. And then last section I want to talk about on the infection piece would be bacterial infections um, such as Lyme, Borrelia, um, Babesia, those types of things. How prevalent is that in the UK? Again, a lot of the time people think it's just a particular area of the US that's a concern. But I know a lot of people in the UK with Lyme. I'm sure you do. How prevalent is it here? And what are some of the things that we should be looking out for that would uh, put up a red flag that that may be a problem.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I was at um, a conference this this year in America and um, a very well-known Lyme literate medical doctor, a um, guy called um, Dr. Richard Horowitz was speaking there. And I've heard him speak quite a few times. He wrote this book called How Can I Get Better? Uh, he's, treat, he's treated over 10,000 Lyme patients himself. But what was really stuck in my mind was that, you know, he said, um, he said, you know, if you've got a patient that's got migratory muscle pain, migratory joint pain, uh, muscle pain, and joint pain that moves around the body, that comes and goes, that waxes and wanes, uh, numbness and tingling and parasitia that moves around the body and comes and goes. You have fatigue, you have um, aud- aud- auditory issues such as tinnitus or visual issues such as visual snow or floaters. Um, you're getting sort of um, fevers, chills, tremors, uh, sleep disturbances. Uh, sometimes people are getting like day sweats or night sweats, especially with the as well. If you're getting the majority of those symptoms there isn't really another condition that presents that way hmm. and that 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 sort of that sort of phrase really stuck in my mind from this conference in in, in May and and, and and it's true and then you know a lot of these patients will have um, can have co-infections such as babesia or bartonella you know I had a patient in last week who you know, has, you know been really through the mill and trying to find out what's wrong with her and and it was such a classical presentation of Lyme. It's very rare it presents that classically, like I just mentioned to you. And you know, and very, very obvious symptoms of Bartonella. And, and with Bartonella, you know, patients can have like burning soles of the feet, really bad anxiety. Um, and they can often get these um little um, these like little scratches. You often call them cat scratch mm. fever. It's funny, it was like stretch marks on the body. Yeah. And I said to her, Do you have any unusual stretch marks? And she said, yeah, like everywhere. I didn't know what they were for. I've never seen anything like it. It was like all, all every, all over her body, on her hips, on her thighs, on her back. And I said, oh my God, you've got the most like classic presentation of art and, and, and Lyme. I said, it's, 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 it's crazy. Um, and it, it's never that, not normally that straightforward, I have to be honest. <laughs> in diagnosing it, but that is a real classical presentation. And obviously now I've just started treating her um, for, you know, for that. Um, so yeah, it is It is very pretty prevalent. It's not just transmitted through ticks. It can be from sand flies and mosquitoes. Um, yeah, so it, it is It is pretty prevalent. And uh, obviously we see we see quite a lot of it at the clinics. We've got a reputation around dealing with that, I suppose.
0: Do you think these infections and um, viruses and conditions like Lyme are something that can be cured? Or is it just that you support the immune system enough so it would keep it at bay if- for as long as possible.
1: Well, we've had loads of patients that have gone back into leading normal lives, back into work, and they haven't really contacted us and said, "Hey, it's back." You know, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I suppose you could look at it two ways: either it does come back and they don't call us, and they think, "Oh God, I'm not doing all that."
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> or or, or, well, it's or it's actually, yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> or, or actually, you know, or um, you know, or it actually hasn't come back, and they're living better lives as a result. Because ultimately. The patients that were treating for Lyme and all this complex illness, they, they transform their lives. They change their lives for the better. It's not just about taking some supplements and herbs. They change their lifestyle, mainly yeah. some one of the key things. And they work out the patterns that were causing them to get that to that way in the first place. So if if you know if they're sort of your, you know, if they've they really, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they can be very motivated people, which is understandable. If they're maybe bed-bound and they've struggled for many years and they finally found someone who has some idea as to what they can do they tend to be very on board as difficult as it can be for them with their health issues um but i think that's very hopeful that there are some answers out there with practitioners like yourself and the clinic that you run so before we finish up i just want to ask you a few more questions personally just to know a bit more about you the first one being what's one herb nutrient or supplement that you couldn't personally live without Uh, well so you've got a list
1: no if i'm if i'm being really 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 um, honest i'm really hopeless at taking supplements oh really (laughs) i i i I don't um in that sense i mean i I don't necessarily practice why preaching terms the supplements per se but i do love herbs Mm. and you know if if you walk around my house at the moment there are you know just random bottles of tinctures everywhere you know (laughs) there's there's one sitting on my desk here There's (laughs) everywhere um so i do love herbs and I, I, i generally have People often laugh at me in the office because, you know, I've always got at least two or three bottles of tinctures in my bag. <laughs> By the way, my, my, my supplements are effectively herbs. So I've always got some sort of immunomodulating stuff or stuff, you know, for concentration or adaptogens. I'm always taking adaptogenic mm-hmm. herbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've taken adaptogenic herbs, for, you, know, for, you know, for 15 years now. Um, Before yeah, they were trendy. I, sorry?
0: Before they were trendy. I suppose,
1: so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I suppose so but yeah i do i do like the i do like the herbs um yeah we've got a herbal dispensary in the clinic with maybe a couple of hundred bottles of herbs we used to make up stuff bespoke for patients which is quite nice um so i do like i do like the herbs
0: amazing and what's something that you're into lately this could be health related can be completely random
1: you know i've, I've, really, what I've really got into lately is it's is, is conscious dance uh, the conscious dance movement. Uh, there's there's quite there's a few out there, but the most well known one is called Five Rhythms,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that's I'm really finding that it's a form of like meditative dance, and it's a great way of getting out of your head and into your body, and it's really really powerful, really powerful. Um, you know, it can, it can produce really deep healing, and it can be it really just get you in a in a really you know really good place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so that's something I've, I've really been getting into lately, and I'm really just uh, yeah, it's a big it's kind a big part of my life now
0: interesting never heard of that either i'm loving all of these pills of wisdom that you're sharing ah. and um it what's one thing that you do every day to stay in hormonal harmony <laughs>
1: uh, good question problem is if, if i'm in good habits i'll be doing obviously i'll be meditating every day mm. I don't meditate. <laughs> um you yeah, know taking my adaptogens mm. uh i guess practicing gratitude um mm-hmm. Um, what else? Yeah, something I, I do it every day. Um, yeah, some things I can think of, I suppose, at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you uh, Do you prioritize your sleep? Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I, I'm not. I, I don't tend to go to bed too late, really. I mean,
0: I, I, you know, last night was quite late
1: for me. That was half eleven, but normally it's like ten, ten thirty. Mm-hmm. I, I'll go to bed, and I wake up. I tend to go to bed early, I can get up early. So I'm normally up at six yeah. in the morning. normally up at six um so and i've got good energy as personally i've got good energy so that's i'm quite less than lucky in that respect because um you know i'm I'm 40 and i've got often got more energy than people 10 10 years 10 years younger than Mm -hmm. me that's a good thing
0: absolutely and final question is where can people find (laughs) more about you online and um elcon and are you taking on clients um yeah you can
1: find out more obviously at
0: www.londonclinicofnutrition.co.uk
1: um, and you can obviously work with one of the you know one of the team of lovely practitioners that we have and obviously when you speak to people at the clinic when you ring up um you they'll 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 match you with the right practitioner to your needs you can book in a 10 50 10 or 50 minute free consult on our website you just click the button you can just book yourself in for a free consult um I am taking. I take on clients personally very sporadically. Um, I tend to have like two intakes a year. Um, I am taking on new patients in January, but maybe for, for a month or two. But then I probably won't again until until the autumn or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Or something like
1: that. But I say, they're but there are very skilled team that we have in the team, and they can deal with um, stuff um, a lot of the time far better than I can, anyway.
0: Yeah, and I'm right. You see, clients, um, your um, your colleagues and your staff see clients internationally
1: yeah so online if necessary by zoom yep. and you know or skype or what have you perfect and, and people fly and obviously people fly in and then yeah. they do the follow-ups online as well
0: mm-hmm. great so thank you so much oliver for your time i really appreciate it again lots of pearls of wisdom and i'll link to all of the things that you've mentioned in the show notes for people to access very easily thank you for your time and for having such a an amazing practice in the uk it's such a good place for people to attend and i know that if i was in that position you'd be the you'd be the facility that i'd want to be helped from thank you thank you for listening to another episode of the hormones in harmony podcast if you like this episode please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances as a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and instagram page at viva natural health for tons more free content and inspiration you can also schedule a free 30 minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next steps to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally see you back here next week for another episode